Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Welcome to our final episode for July 2021 with Graham McMillan and I breaking out an in-depth discussion of Superman and the Authority No. 1 by Grant Morrison, Mikhail Janin, and Jordi Belair. Look back. The one-shot from Chainsaw Man manga ka Tatsuki Fujimoto, currently available over at the Shonen Jump website. The first few issues of Crime Syndicate and Infant Frontier. The nearly forgotten Peter B. Gillis run on New Defenders. The epic manga Fist of the North Star. And much, much more in this nearly two-hour episode. As always, we welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Laster. Graham McMillan, hello! How are you doing? Oh, you know... <clears throat> I'm surviving, which I feel like is kind of a big achievement at the moment. So you know, I, I'm good. I'm good. Let's let's upgrade it to good. <laughs> I'm to glad good. you're good. I'm also glad you're surviving. I think both of those things are positives in this the cultural wasteland that is our lives. Yes, yes. Well put. And yourself, Graham? How are you? I'm too good. I I, I can actually say that without. Excuse me while I burp. Um, I, can, I feel like getting, I can actually say that without the qualifier of like, I'm surviving. I mean, I am also surviving. But I, right, I would, right. I yeah, but we, good. Yeah, the, like the the burp is the only qualifier is what you're saying. The burp is the qualifier because I literally just uh, wolfed down some pizza before we did the podcast. Oh, that sounds fabulous. That sounds really good. It, it, it was very tasty. I, mm. uh, I, I might have overindulged. Mm. There may be more burps. We'll see. <laughs> Ooh, boy! Already a lot of tension being built into this uh, this episode. A lot of a lot of high expectations to meet. Yeah, I I mean I, I have been watching a lot of really shitty reality show. So let's so let's be... get it out of the way. Let's no, get it out of the see, way. I'm not going to get it out of the way. And do you know why I'm not going to get it out of the way? Why? Because Chloe has asked that uh, at some point in August she come back. To talk about the shitty reality shows that we've been watching. Oh my god! Okay, she, she okay. very specifically wants to come back and talk about Love Island. <laughs> oh um, boy! Okay, because Jeff, we've not only been watching the new Love Island from the UK, right? We have also been watching Love Island Australia, which we've never seen before. Oh god! I'd hate to see what Australia's twist on Love Island is. Uh, it's honestly the twist is they're all more fun. Oh. That's kind of a relief. That, that, that's kind of the, the, the twist that, that, that we can say. Also, one of the people on it is maybe my favorite reality show contestant on anything ever. I That seems like a huge um, field from which to select. Why so? Uh, honestly, because she simultaneously buys into the melodrama and over-the-topness of the whole thing, mm-hmm. while being funny enough to suggest that she also finds it as ridiculous as you do. Oh, wow. Okay. And okay. so, you know, in the bits with, with everyone, in the bits, you know, in the in the house, so to speak, you know, she's completely there and she's shit-stirring in the whole shebang. And then they do the direct camera bits and she's like, but well, that's just fucking ridiculous. <laughs> and you're like, it is! Thank you! I'm not alone! <laughs> well, good. Good. I'm I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. I feel yeah. you have a lot of uncertainty. 
right well, now. Yeah. Yes, yes, it's true. It's true. Not just because these are uncertain times, um, and and because how much I'll end up coughing on air or off air is going to clearly be a thing that I'm I'm concerned about. But but also generally, Graham, I sort of feel like uh, I just. Doing the show notes, I mean, it's one thing, you know, Drock and Baxter building, which we just did, and I hope listeners caught our little return to uh, talking about Fantastic Four, which was kind of fun. But um, our, our, our White What podcast episodes, I feel like in doing the show notes, like our first hour is, you know, if we're lucky, spent covering really depressing comics news, or if not, kind of flimity flamming around some jiminy jam that's usually you know tv related maybe and then if we're lucky in the last hour we talk about comics which usually again breaks down into that weird thing of you know you quickly talk about things that you've read that aren't coming out for six months or that came out 30 (laughs) years ago and then i sort of quote unquote talk about things which is to say power list and stammer about you know whatever's coming out and i just sort of feel like i'm like are we are we really connecting are we really connecting with with the with the subject or are we just sort of have we hit have we hit sort of a routine i mean chances are yes we've hit a routine but jeff i'm going to upset that routine oh see this is this is what i was hoping for i think okay well because earlier on this week, mm-hmm. um, myself and other people on Twitter were talking about Superman and the Authority. Oh, yeah. That's a great time. Uh, and I, I, start, I started off by tweeting, more or less, for people who read Morris, Grant Morrison into the stories that they write. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to be pulled from Superman and the Authority. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I genuinely do. It, Morrison... Uh, I said this when I was rereading The Green Lantern and Wonder Woman Earth 1, Volume 3, which came out about the same time, you know, a few mm-hmm. months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and I would say even more so in Superman and the Authority. They're not doing autobio by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. But I also think they're clearly writing about themselves in ways that are really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think I, I've think that there's a couple of ways in which that's true of Superman and the Authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I first of all, I should say, I really like the comic. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I thought it was a very fun comic. Mm-hmm. I like Morrison's take in this older Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it, uh, Mikhail Janin's art is just fucking amazing. For yeah, Jordan Peter's colors as well are really, really good. I think mm-hmm. it's a beautiful looking comic. I think uh, Janin as well uh, it, in ways like it, it both looks like and doesn't look like their earlier work. Mm. There are times where, honestly, I think the line work looks like Dan Mora, hmm. which I, I was a surprising thing to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I like the comic. But uh, I read it a while ago. I read it a few weeks ago because I got an early comp, and then I reread it this week when it came out. Um, for a couple of reasons, one of which is honestly, when you get the comps, when you get DC comps. They're watermarked out out the backside, mm-hmm. and so reading it when it actually comes out, it's kind of like reading a different comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, it was such a pretty comic mm-hmm. when I was reading the preview. I was like, I want to have a look at the pages without all the watermarks. Right. 
because uh, they're like the watermarks go through the entire page. Right. Yeah. It's not like you know it's watermark in a card or something. The watermarks go through the entire page. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I was like, I, I, you know, I just want to see what the comic looks like. And I reread it, and I realized I liked it more the second time I read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I, you know, I'm feeling good about this comic. I really like this comic. I think this comic is a really interesting Superman comic at a time when, at least coming up, I think we're getting going to get some really interesting Superman comics. Mm-hmm. Um. But it also felt very much like Morrison is writing about themselves, uh, in a, in from two directions, right? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think that Superman in in Superman Authority is Morrison today writing about commenting on their place in the comic industry, mm-hmm. right? But I also think that Manchester Black is like. Morrison as well, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. maybe past Morrison, mm-hmm. but you know, there's there's a, a certain uh, life to some of the Manchester Black lines. Yes, because in part you're like, okay, I can totally imagine Morrison like cackling with glee, with glee mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. a, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I so so this conversation on Twitter, I I you know I said say like I think there's a lot of people to read in, and everyone I feel. Was reading a, the the Superman stuff and seeing it, mm-hmm. and and you know we'll come back to this. But one of the things I was surprised about was I feel like you stepped in. and You were like, "Yeah, it's Manchester Black." Mm-hmm. Especially on Twitter, you were the only person to be like, "Yeah, it's Manchester Black." That's Morrison in this mm-hmm. comic, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm super curious what your take on it is. To be honest, I'm super curious what you thought about the comic in general, but also where you think the Morrison slash Manchester Black. Like what it is for you? Mm. Well, <clears throat> uh, so I think these. I think uh, thank you. I'm. I, it's so funny when you started we're talking about because of course I did tweet a reply to you and heard like nothing. Like which is fine. You know how Twitter is. Sometimes there's hits and misses. Particularly for me, I'll tweet tweet something and be like, "Oh, oh all right, Twitter, you're turned upside down now." And it's just you know so. So I'm glad you saw it because I was afraid I was going to have to do the awkward. Well, actually, Graham, I did reply to your tweet, so I'm I'm glad you saw that. Uh, I enjoyed the comic a lot, a lot. I was sort of surprised. I think you know you and I had talked months ago, and I think probably off air about how um, you know the Jim Lee Morrison uh, authority of which I think you had pointed out had actually gone on for another couple of issues uh, with, was it Gene Ha on art after? It's, it's, no, it, Jim Lee and Morrison did one issue of Wildcats. Oh, is that what I'm thinking of? Morrison and Gene Ha did, I think, two or three issues of Authority. Okay, right. That's what and, I'm thinking and of. Morrison and Gene Ha. By, mm-hmm. Yeah, Authority then got finished by Giffen. Huh, Okay. Giffen took it over, and it was relaunched as the Authority the last, the last year. <laughs> and, and Giffen like wrote the remainder of that twelve issue series. Wow. Okay. So a little skeptical, I guess, about Grant Morrison like doing it uh, for whatever reason. I just just kind of like, eh, eh, you know, it 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 always I ha- always have a certain fantasy that it's like everyone's aware to kind of stay optimally on Jim Lee's good side. You know, it's like 
a good idea to to you know at least pitch one wildstorm related project per year you know just to make it seem like yeah, yeah. you're interested in the characters but like you said what was interesting and and really good about it was Morrison really had something to say and uh it's interesting because i felt when I saw your tweet, I felt, like you said, a lot of people were engaging with the idea of Morrison as Superman, and Superman in Superman in the Authority, as an older Superman figure, as someone who's a, different from our current incarnation of Superman, but far from the sort of, you know, tyrannical dick Superman that, that people are really thought would be uh, I don't know if people were expecting Morrison to throw in there, but a lot of people were kind of expecting grim and gritty sort of el- el- wild Stormian elements in that regard. Um, but a lot of people seemed really convinced that Morrison's take or or the part in Superman that Morrison was aligning themselves with was the idea of essentially failing the culture around them being like failing the society. And I, I think I may um, sort of knock the badminton back into your court. Is that something that you see or agree with? I think that it has a number of different things going on. And I do, I think that that's a little sort of, um, too reductive for me, but on the other hand, I feel that you are very I, I, locked I, in. I, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think it is. I am. I am like ninety percent there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I think that Morrison is not per se putting themselves in with that mm-hmm. as much as putting their generation of writers in with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do think when when you have Superman talking about we were so sure we were winning we didn't even try mhm mm-hmm. i think i think there's a lot to that line mhm i think there's a lot to the idea that uh superman looks to manchester black as someone who can uh essentially effect real change by by bucking the system that he worked within mhm I think there's something there. I, I do think that there's 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 some experience, the, like real life experience from Morrison that they're putting in. Mm. Um, I, I it's it's strange because I find because I do find that that material there because I do think that's there. Mm. I think I think it's a valid reading, mm-hmm. but I also think that like I can't separate it from a lot of what's in the latter half of Green Lantern. Uh, season two, mm-hmm. which for me is uh, Morrison really, um, really playing with with uh, cultural stereotypes and especially gender stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for want of a better way of putting it, suggesting that the the way to to win or to be successful or the way to to move forward is to reject 
the the status quo mm-hmm. in in those in those ways, and instead look at the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and for that matter, like with the Wonder Woman Earth Earth One uh, third book, mm-hmm. um, again is is you know gender war except it's 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 not not it's not at all in the end mm-hmm. it is the idea that gender war is is itself like a false construct mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know uh, and so all of this sort of melds together for me is in morrison is and again this is a lot of this is projection a lot of this is me reading in mm-hmm. and like, like putting all these things together mm-hmm. uh, i do think that there's some idea that like morrison is looking back at their experience and their generation Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like the generation that was going to come in and was going to like bust everything wide open and and didn't really mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like did to some extent but really didn't mm-hmm. you know and I think that when you look at uh, the the you know quote unquote daring comics the vertical comics of the 1990s mm-hmm. there's some great comics there mm-hmm. you know we were just talking about Enigma a month ago right yeah um but they are so uh, so much less daring, viewed mm-hmm. from this perspective, mm-hmm. and also so many of those creators ended up, you know, creating the landscape that is like Marvel and DC today, mm-hmm. and like the mainstream Marvel and DC today. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they were they were they were swallowed by the machine. They didn't actually affect real change. Mm-hmm. You know, again, all of this is projection. No, like, I, I I definitely. Yeah, I what see. I see. To when, they, when they talk about this, right? Right. I, I, when you were talking about, you know, there's no Superman to Dick. You saw the CBR interview with Morrison promoting this book, right? Um, I don't think so. I think I might have seen a pull quote or two that made it on uh, Twitter. So, so Morrison basically said in the CBR interview, like that's the, that's the book as it was pitched to him, mm-hmm. like Tyrant Superman and the Authority. Mm-hmm. And he had comes right out and says it in the interview. He's like, that's a ridiculous idea, right? Right. That's that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. That's not Superman. That's not who Superman is. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also says, oh, sorry, they also say that um, the, the authority in this series is not the Wildstorm Authority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's the analogs. It's the DC Universe analogs. Right. Wildstorm Authority. Right. Hence Manchester Black. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And that you are going to get Apollo and Midnighter, but that's it. You know, you're going to get mm-hmm. Natasha Irons instead of the engineer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're going to get the, these other characters in there, like the Enchantress, mm-hmm. is going to replace the Doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and and I think, I think it's showing that Morrison is is aware of the expectations, mm-hmm. but ultimately is is completely disinterested in expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, and, and you know, doesn't particularly want to play with those expectations. Right. Uh, also, one one final thing before I'll I'll, I'll shut up and let you talk again is <laughs> uh, this was uh, the best I can tell was going to be part of the five G books. You like the, the idea that there was going to be they were going to age up all the characters, right? Uh, and so this book was initially created in an entirely different environment and mm-hmm. for an entirely different environment, mm-hmm. right? And now it's been in some way that I honestly can't work out from right now, 
it's going to connect with current Superman continuity, mm-hmm. which, like, I'm sure there's going to be some wonderful explanation down the line, but right now I can't see how that is, mm-hmm. unless it takes place in the future, or this is a, either a Superman from another reality, or a Superman from the future who's come back to the present day. Right. Because right. the Superman in this comic does not match the Superman that's currently in Superman or Action Comics. Oh, de- yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, although there's some very light allusions to things like Superman outing himself and maybe something yeah, yeah, yeah. else that it seemed like yes. very loose, uh, but, you know. Um... And, and apparently, uh, you know, also in the CBR interview, Morrison more or less says, like, I, I've retrofitted it to, so it fits with continuity. Mm-hmm. I don't see how that's true just yet. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but I'll I'll take their word for it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. So, so to answer your question, I do think that there is some Superman in some way represents Morrison, mm. but I don't think Superman is is, is necessary as Superman slash Morrison is talking about their failure mm-hmm. as much as the failure of their peers, the failure, mm-hmm. the collective, as opposed to Superman slash Morrison's sole failure. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Uh, now, listen, before I circle around to this, and this is going to sound really dumb, but, like, Morrison has written Superman, you know, before. Yep. Did you ever see Morrison in Superman before this, if you see what I'm saying? No. And I think that's I, – I think in a way that sort of is what – trips me up a little bit is... exactly why is why is superman suddenly a morrison analog when that wasn't true in you know action comics or also yeah, Superman? exactly exactly um, or I, justice I league think, and stuff yeah. uh i think well i justice league i feel is is the furthest from is like the hardest one to imagine mm-hmm. because superman and justice in jla like all of the jla characters mm-hmm are not even particular characters as much as they're they're there as like the the archetype. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're there to like it's Superman, right? <laughs> it's not Clark Kent who is also Superman. It's Superman. Yeah. The same way that Batman is like Batman, <laughs> right? That man, like the Batman of JLA is not the the Batman of Morrison's Batman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're they're different characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, in a strange way, see Morrison echoed in All Star Superman. Hmm. Um, but I think it's Morrison. Um, it's almost like Morrison's wish fulfillment. Hmm. Uh, I think that it's Morrison's best self-image hmm. that that they that they're very aware they don't live up to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the Superman and All Star Superman is written as basically the, the, the literally the best of us. Mm-hmm. Like superhumanly kind, superhumanly patient, and and uh, strong—not in the physical sense, but in the emotional sense. Right, right. You know that I think that I I do think that Morrison is maybe not even projecting themselves into, mm-hmm. but is hoping to draw from. Mm. In the same way that like King Mob and Invisibles mm-hmm. becomes this weird, you know, magical spell. Right, for, like to to blur the lines between fiction and reality for Morrison, mm-hmm. I do think that All Star Superman's version of Superman has that 
for for Morrison. Hmm. In it, it's in it, it's almost a, an invocation of 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 the best they and we can be, mm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that might be like you know, I I again, you know, a lot of this is projection, and a lot of this is just like completely out there. But I, I do I do see that there. Mm-hmm. Um, action comics, no, but again, it's uh, action comics was is such a strange thing. Yeah, especially back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's so stylized, mm-hmm. and Morrison is an incredibly stylized writer. You know, Morrison writes in schools of thought. You know, you can compare for all that people talk about, like you know, a Grant Morrison book. If you compare Action Comics to We Three to yes. you know any any issue of the Multiversity, yeah, to to Saint Swithin's Day, to you know Bible John's and New Adventures of Hitler, to to JLA, you know, they're they're very clearly different comics and type, different types of comics as well. I think, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Action Comics is arch, not in the way that it's like winking at the reader or in the way that it thinks it's you know. It's it's playing it off as a joke, mm-hmm. but it's in the sense of like it's a pose, mm, right? It, it's Morrison updating not only the original the attitude of the original Superman comics, but of the media of that time. So Action Comics becomes Morrison attempting to do a twenty first version, twenty first century version of pulp fiction, mm-hmm. of you know the movie reels, of of. Of the the comics, but also the comic strips of the mm-hmm. era, mm-hmm. where there is not an incredible amount of inner life for the characters, mm. and you do occasionally get inner life, you know. But it's 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 almost at the the edges of of uh, the action comics issues or in the one shot issues, right. right? Right, where you get the idea that like there's more than just like you know this fast talking hero who never gives up. Mm-hmm. Um. But but I feel that, that I feel that Morrison is almost writing in quotation marks mm-hmm. for all of action comics. And again, I love the action comics run. Mm-hmm. I, I really think that's a, a great run of comics. Mm-hmm. But it felt uh, it felt like Morrison was was purposefully trying to invoke the again an updated version of the era when Superman first appeared. Mm-hmm. Right. So there, there's there's uh, there's almost no space for Morrison to appear in there, right? Mm. Because Morrison's already trying to make Superman into this other thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing about Superman and Authority is, at least in this first issue, it's like it's Superman's name's in it. Superman is one of the primary characters, but it very much doesn't feel like a Superman book to me, mm-hmm. right? It, it's and that that may be a strange thing to say, but Superman almost felt like a guest star. Mm. Superman felt like, um, you know, the the older relative who comes back to <laughs> all the, you know, the stirring words to the actual person that the story's about. Right, right. You know, um, so I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't. I haven't traditionally seen a lot of Morrison in Superman. Right. Um, but I've seen traces of it. And one of the things that is different in this project is for me, again, Superman almost feels like a, a cameo in their own book. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. 
Yeah, I you know, so for me, I think that um, Morrison really loves Superman, and I to me loves Superman the way that how do I put it? You you love the way that you can sort of have this sort of idealized true love for kind of your opposite, you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like a crush or romantic love, where it's like everything you're into about the other person is that is how much they are not you. They don't remind you of you at all, you know? To, to me, sure. um, Morrison, Superman is always, um, you know, always compassionate, always kind, always inspiring. And I think I think that Morrison, when you see Morrison do any level of toying with self-insert, um, they make it a point to make themselves like I don't want to say a huge failure, but but messed up. You know what I mean? And I think one of the things that I love about Morrison's love of Superman is is that Superman's great superpower is that he is basically strong enough not to be messed up that his his confidence in himself and sort of in his in his powers and in him makes him like almost infinitely kind and compassionate and um and i think how do i put it morrison loves that in precisely the way that someone who is not that loves it you know what i mean like is really well aware and that's why to me what i think is interesting is when to the extent that morrison uh, in ends up inside the narratives, I think that generally, although I could be wrong, because I think Superman and Flash uh, and those Silver Age narratives, and Green Lantern's kind of an interesting one, but are so kind of um, aspirational to him like he's i feel like his idea of wanting to craft a good flash story or craft a good superman story or whatever like even to the extent that there is any self-insert in flash it's merely because flash was the great self-insert dc hero book you know what i mean but i i think that superman to the extent that that Morrison enters the narrative, it's usually in things like, you know, Lex Luthor or Lois or Jimmy or, you know, when you get I, to something... I, all, sorts, all sorts of men, like Leo Quintum was the one everyone thought was Morrison. <clears throat> right. Leo Quintum, who is, you know, just this very convoluted figure, you know, like really fascinating at, as... as um a potentially multi uh, a very multivalence uh cipher so i'm glad you mentioned it but like even the you know what's his name 
uh, Ramvar or whatever the 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 young monitor that ends up in oh, you know, yeah, Superman uh, Final yeah, Crisis yeah. and then moves into multiversity yeah. exactly. But you know uh, the 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 idea of a storyteller, uh, you know, a race of storytellers who are enslaved to a story and who need Superman to essentially purify that story and and save and save reality you know like that is that is closer to where morrison is in so for me it's just maybe it's just me being kind of fussy but i definitely and this is the flip side of me because you and i have been doing the drock read-throughs where we are seeing um morrison back when he's sorry back when they we're working with Miller uh, generally and 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 doing stories for Judge Dredd uh, and kind of seeing things like if you read the, you know, when we reread Enigma, for example, um, Morrison puts together a very long introduction to Enigma that is, you know, almost preposterously arch. You know what I mean? And so there, there's a lot with Morrison. To me, it's so much easier to see Manchester Black as your, generate, your Gen X inhabitant of the 21st century who is kind of a paranoid hedonist who can only summon the power to disbelieve in everything and, and sort of vaguely aware that it's his own commitment to irony you know that there's a there's a lot in um black that sort of i feel like the the sort of all powerful telepath telekinetic uh is is also kind of a big morrisonian archetype so sure. and is and and usually that figure is not there without being you know half step removed from uh, uh basically a smart ass equivalent like i'm thinking very much of um quentin what's his yeah diddle? quentin choir in in x-men yeah right so he's which, very which again like i i also saw very clearly i saw you know the original quentin choir a yes. lot in this Manchester Black. Yes, and I think, and it strikes me it, that would not strike me as an accident because, as you point out, there's a little bit where Superman talks about the fact that they took things too easily and they thought things would change without them having to do anything. And so, the power where he talks about the call for collective action is, you know. How do I put it? Like, all of that is, like, to the extent that Superman and Black might be elements of Morrison in dialogue with themselves, I'm sort of half inclined to agree, ex except for I don't think that Morris. I'm not sure that either A, Morrison is invested enough is in Superman, like, how do I put it? Like, Superman's closer to automatic writing or received wisdom or reading the zeitgeist for whatever reason, and I'm sure this will 
you know, because everyone picked up on it, um, I, I'm sure that I will be proven wrong in just a mere issue or two. But for whatever reason, Superman feels like the outside corrective that Morrison just doesn't associate themselves with. Like, Morrison is pretty... I, I... Yeah, mm-hmm. No, no, no. I I think you're right, but but what I think it's funny because you know you mentioned Final Crisis, and I hadn't really thought about Superman Beyond, which honestly is is kind of a Morrison cortex for Superman. Very much so, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. and I I I hadn't thought about it, and I can see the reading of Superman as outside corrective, especially through that lens, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. Superman Beyond is. I mean, for all intents and purposes, Morrison's operating theory of Superman. Yeah, very much. Right. Mm-hmm. Superman is is a, a, a an idea that cannot die, a recurring idea that cannot die, and that will ultimately save us. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It sounds like an odd thing to say, mm-hmm. but one of the things about the Superman and Superman and the Authority is because it is. Superman who is aging, and Superman who is no longer Superman to some degree. Mm-hmm. You get you get the line about how Superman is losing the power of flight. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of that idea grounded, no pun intended, mm-hmm. makes me feel that it opens the way for Morrison as the all-powerful author, right? And for that matter, as a father figure. Mm. or mentor figure mm. to mm. allow themselves to uh, self-insert. Mm. Um, again, again, like I'm projecting wildly. No, 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 which is totally fine. I, I think it'll be really interesting to see how the book plays out because I suspect, I kind of suspect that it would be very hard for for you to be right without with sort of without it becoming much closer to being explicit although not in being like oh i'm morrison but i mean uh, there's just going to be they, they, I, I i think it's early days to really tell i do think that it's interesting though and i do also think that that for me i guess i was like more intrigued with the idea of like is this is this what we need it, like, are people seeing that because they want to, want s- to see it? Yeah, do they want to see it? Is there something that we need to see that is, um, you know, comic book creators that, I don't know, that, that, that we respect or that is, that have been such a huge chunk of the industry for so long to be kind of like, hey, we fucked up, things are things are a mess, you know, or things have to change, or... I, th- I think there's definitely... Uh, I don't know if it's something we need to see. Mm-hmm. I think, honestly, especially, especially for... I was going to say younger fans, but when I say that, I'm genuinely talking about, like, in their 30s or younger. Yes. Right. So, younger feels, like, a, 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 bit, a bit much. Right. Um, but I do think there are generations of fans... That um, would be eager to see an older generation of creators, especially one who they recognize have done important work. 
um, own up to what they see as shortcomings. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think there I think there is a hunger for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in general fans who outgrow work mm-hmm. or outgrow creators are always hopeful that their creators will come around to their way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of of someone whose stuff I loved and who later in life I was like, oh God, they're a porn. And, and I'm utterly failing. But imagine there was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm sure, you know, listeners are shouting a name right now at the, right. at the podcast. Right. Yeah. But, um, but like, it, it is one of those things where where you do have a, you know, anyone who's been disillusioned in a creator, you, if you love that creator's work, if that work meant something to you, mm-hmm. there is this sense of like, oh, I, I wish they could just get it. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I wish, I wish they could somehow come back. Mm-hmm. I wish mm-hmm. I could have that again. And so I think that hunger is, 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 is real. Well, but do you think that I I do see that, and yet part of me is like, do uh, I'm kind of like, did people not like the Green Lantern that much? Because part of me sort of feels people like people really did not like the Green Lantern that no, much. No, people really didn't, and I I kind of uh, I think I I definitely understand their frustration, but on the other hand, that's only the most recent two years and i feel like most of us went into the green lantern with a certain amount of excitement you know what i mean like i feel like multiversity was relatively really strong do you think even during multiversity we're talking about how morrison had lost it Mm. you know uh, i think the wonder woman earth one books Left a lot of people cold as well. Yeah, I thought I. I think that I think that Wonder Woman Earth One did sort of leave people cold, uh, and of course, I feel like Green Lantern kind of did. But I, I guess part of me is like, does it really? Like, I would I okay, I could see it for someone for whom, uh, the the iron felt cold for a while, like Tom King, for example. You know, who I mm-hmm. think went from sort of the highest heights to the most suspicious of side eyes, you know, within a relatively short uh, yes. period yes. of time. Um, and, and, and you're not alone in that, right? Right, right. I, I, think, the, the, I think the common wisdom in King, honestly, mm-hmm. is that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, for, for all the people who loved his Mr. Miracle, I think, you know, Conservatively, I would say at least half of those people would now talk about how he's overrated and you know can only do the one type of story. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I think I think his his star has fallen honestly at exceptional speeds. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so as well. So there's something that also I, one thing I want to throw out there that I think is important is I have uh, I do feel like one of the things that I saw Morrison say was talking a little bit about moving into the realm of TV and um, essentially thinking about adapting things, uh, you know, and I think he is he's a big fan of reinvention, you know, um, 
And so part of me, for for me, sometimes I look at something like Superman and the Authority, and it's just something as simple and not especially tailored to personal feelings of failure and success as much as trying to solve a particular problem of the 21st century comic book, which is, to me, very much in that realm of, like, the world feels really fucked right now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's really hard for me sometimes, like, both Marvel and DC, to the extent that they might speak of it elliptically there's kind of that feeling of like they're these super powered beings but we have to come up with reasons why they don't really change anything and nothing changes and yes. and i one of the things that i really loved about the first issue of superman and the authority is you know morrison basically changes things up and it puts it very much in the realm of the world seems completely fucked up and you have you have two figures, one of whom is Superman, saying like, "Yeah, we didn't we didn't do anything, and 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 now things are almost too late, but you can help me." And and Manchester Black very much being like, "Why the fuck would I help you? I hate you." And I, to the extent that that speaks of the the tenor of the times that we see going on currently, I think, I think that it is very, um, acutely of the moment in a way that feels, um, that I just need, I just really need in my superhero comics, I guess at the moment. And, and there is part of me that also feels like, and this could be wrong is, is that, I worry that putting Morrison in the realm of psychologically exploring themselves and coming to a mea culpa about their failures isn't is instead, you know, the craftsman trying to solve a problem and like, okay, here's how we would do a superhero comic in the 21st century that's about the 21st century and yet still also preserves Superman, you know, like that's a very specific set of problems. And so part of me is like, Oh, that really nails it. And I also feel that the other thing that is, um, Superman and the authority. Number one, it's, is actually really fucking funny. You know, there's yes. a lot of funny stuff in it. And again, that's very much centered on black Manchester Black, and and to me, there's also kind of a little bit of a um, I don't I don't just don't get the same tonal hit that other people do or did. But I'm also aware I'm several issues away from finishing up season two of the Green Lantern. I know that I'm you know also barely like to say I'm adrift is actually to give me way more um illusion of focus on that reading than than I w could otherwise even begin to suggest and then I think I'm two volumes behind on Wonder Woman Earth 1 you know I made it through volume 1 and was like oh yeah hmm ha and then I think I've got two sitting in my library and I still haven't I, I don't even think I've thought about getting a hold of three 
you know. So, so at least for me, which is to say, like, I very much respect your take on it. Um, and yet, at the same time, I worry that some of the reaction to it seemed very overheated in a, in a way that we need something. Like, there was a stronger need for, you know, again, either a Mia Culpa for Morrison or a Mia Culpa for Morrison for Morrison's generation or you know, something. Dot, dot, I, dot. See, I, I don't think it is necessarily a need for that as much as I think people were not expecting to find subtext in this comic. <laughs> that could be. That could no, be. For real. Yeah. I, I, no, like, no, I think I, that's it, a good it point. It sounds yeah. like a joke and I'm very much not meaning it as a joke. No, 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 no. I, I agree. Do think, I do think that people were pretty much going into this relatively cynically, albeit, like, again, I think the CBR interview got a lot of people excited about it. Um, but I do think that people went into this thinking it was going to be, for all intents and purposes, like exactly what you think when you hear the, the title of Superman of the Authority. Yeah. And instead, it's very much not that. Uh, mm-hmm. But also, there is at least the possibility of subtext. And I think that caught a lot of people off guard. And I think that's what, what prompted it. And, you know, I'm, uh, for want of a better way of putting this, the the superhero comics that most people talk about these mm-hmm. days are relatively shorn of subtext like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't think there is that type of subtext in in, in honestly most uh, contemporary superhero comics, even the ones that people like, even the ones that people talk about a lot. You know, there there is certainly subtext and meaning to be mined in like Hickman's X-Men books. But it's not of a personal level. Uh, or if it is, it's I don't think it's intentional. Um, and, you know, as someone who loves like Al Ewing's books, I don't think you can find similar subtext in Al Ewing. It's like, well, maybe Immortal Hulk, but it's certainly not like Sword or Guardians of the Galaxy. As much as I like those two books. You know? And so I think the idea of finding someone potentially putting uh, a personal autobiographical subtext in a superhero comic, especially when it's unexpected, I think that's what got people talking more than, thank God I've finally been, like, finally a 60 year old writer is admitting that they're not perfect. Jeff? Oh, sorry, I accidentally muted myself. Um, I'm trying to do that more so that it makes editing a little more clean. And one thing that I found is at one point I will get confused and totally uh, mute myself when I think I've unmuted myself and vice versa. So Good job. Yeah, I know, right? Excellent. Well, you know... I, same thing, so... Yeah, I'm glad you heard. So it's interesting. I feel like, uh, you know, it is funny because I feel uh, maybe because um, Al Ewing, whose work I love, still feels like enough of a cipher that it's funny. Like Immortal Hulk, I absolutely adore, but it also sort of seems like a... um, kind of a perfect formalist construction 
You know what I mean? Like, it's playing out the themes that are dealt. How those themes actually connect to Owl's life would be really fascinating to to potentially unpack. But I don't... It's funny. Maybe Maybe you're right. I think that to the extent that you see meta-narrative or subtext within um, superhero books, I think that it's a little, um, I think that it's, I think that it, it tends to be non-apologetic, you know? And I think, I think to mention King again, I think that King is actually a really good example of this where, um, the stuff that's going on in Strange Adventures, the stuff that w- shenanigans that were going on toward the end of uh, Batman, the really weird dip into self-insert into Rorschach that I haven't read directly, but saw some people discussing. Oh yeah, no, no, yeah, it, it, it should be said like King is actually someone who is very aggressively doing this. That's true. Yeah, and, and but and doing it in a but doing it in a way that I think is currently frustrating people more than than pleasing them. So yes, yes, you know. So I, I, I know earlier on you made fun of me for um, you know reading things that aren't out yet. Yes, uh, this the next issue of Strange Adventures. That okay. At some point, when Strange Adventures is over, and right. I guess it'll be six months or so, because you're reading it in, on DC Universe, right? Yeah, my hope is is that the, a hoopla trade will pop up sooner because um, it's just we, really we slow. have to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, have yeah. to talk about that comic because there is. Uh, I it certainly feels as if there is no small amount of of personal insert in there oh yeah but also what happens uh is uh a suggests that king is very aware of what he's doing mm-hmm. as opposed to uh honestly like in the first part of the series i was like oh i wonder if he's he's not really aware or not even not aware but um is is letting this go for want of a better way of putting it and then what has happened by the next issue that comes out? It feels, uh, it feels very directed, shall we say? So is this it's the penultimate issue, the final issue? Are you? The... It's, a, it's a penultimate. It's issue eleven. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. So issue eleven feels very much like that. That is still so, a central. All I'm, all I'm saying is something mm-hmm. happens in issue eleven. That for people like me who thought that they knew where King was going, mm-hmm. um, might throw them off. And when I say it was going, I don't mean on a plot level. Mm. On a on a subtext level, honestly. I see. Interesting. Okay. Um, and then something happens in issue eleven where I was like, "Huh? So clearly doing something different." Mm. Hmm. Okay. And but. Uh, Honestly, I've I've said this before, and again, I I know that King is is I don't think anyone's favorite writer these days. Um, I think Rorschach and Strange Adventures are fucking fascinating comics, Mm -hmm. and I think they are 
ambitious in a way that is is laudable, if not necessarily always entirely successful. Mm-hmm. I I, th- I think they're great, and I I really am fascinated by what he's doing in both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the self insert in Rorschach is something. The Rorschach's meta text in general is just fucking bonkers. Jeff is right. genuinely fucking bonkers. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the it, if we're oh, apologies for the, the car horn that just yeah went, wow, it was amazing. Uh, if if we are to believe that Strange Adventures has the the self insert that that it, you know, may have been thought to, slash was believed to. Right. Where the series is ultimately going is fucking fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it is, is genuinely, I, like, I, I, I will be very interested to see King talk about the book mm-hmm. afterwards. Mm-hmm. Put it that way. Right. I, I think there are many ways in which Strange Adventures is a spiritual secret to um, Sheriff of Babylon. Mm-hmm. As anything else. Mm-hmm. Which makes where it goes all the more interesting to me. Hmm. Okay. Well, this is... Both... Sorry, I completely derailed you. You were talking no, about, no, no, you were talking no, no, about no. self-inserts and you were talking about Morrison and, and King. Oh, Morrison and King and just... Uh, I, I Again, I sort of do wonder... If, yeah, I don't know. I I I I actually do wonder slash think in in a weird, unformed way. I probably won't be able to play out that um that the that there there is a real need on the part of the quote unquote younger generation, which means millennials, Gen Zers, or whatever for. Apologies and accountabilities and a variety of things. I feel like that is just such a weird, necessary part of the reckoning that is needed. And I think that also, um, as I've said here before, I sometimes think that the the battles that are fought so um, violently or vituperatively uh, about pop culture really are... Um, ways in which we blow off steam or release tension about the shit in our lives that is almost too terrifying to face. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that, that really is, you know, watching, watching protesters getting beaten with nightsticks and watching, you know, unions fall and seeing stories about people going back and, you know, acting like tremendous pieces of shit towards restaurant workers and, you know, the so-called essential workers now that, now that the world is reopening. It's just, you know, it wouldn't, to me anyway, there, there's a certain, um, and again, I might be working too hard to read something into it. The idea that people really want to be able to see someone be um, accountable or saying like, ah, you know, I fucked this up. And like people really wanted to see it or hear it. But, you know, again, my theory, we'll see. Eh. 
but I want to keep talking about comics because I'm super I'm super excited about the fact that we spent so long talking about Superman and the Authority. Uh, I'm going to run through a couple of comics that um, I read uh, just so that I can blab about them very quickly. Please um, do. The I have. Are you aware of Skybound X or Skybound Ten? Okay. I am aware of Skybound X, a.k.a. a comic that I get an exceptional amount of PR about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I have to say, Graham, talk about, um, talking, talk about Jeff being a sucker. Because I saw, I might have been, I didn't pick it up until issue two, but I had this huge hope, which is essentially Skybound, the Skybound X or Skybound 10 for for those people who don't know are is basically a weekly anthology comic that is coming out from Robert Kirkman and Skybound each issue is something like 60 pages and is i think 4.99 maybe um which is say 5 bucks 60 pages of material um and i have to say i had that moment where i was like oh shit like giving Kirkman and Skybound way too much the benefit of the doubt. Um, I was like, God, they're fucking doing an American 2000 AD. Yeah. They're doing a weekly comic that's five bucks, 60 pages with recurring serials. And, and kind of, I was like, you know what? If there's anyone with deep enough pockets on the American side of the comics industry, who is also sort of loosey-goosey enough to actually try that, it would be Kirkman, you know? So I paid the hard-earned dosh, and I'm like, I don't know, three issues in or something. And, you know, it's not that, unfortunately. It's basically... So so what is it? Because I've got to tell you, from the PR I got, Mm-hmm. I never thought of it as oh it's 2008 but American. Well, no, right, right. I, I I honestly thought of it as it's uh, an anniversary project that is just like oh look it's more people mining the Kirkman IP. Right, and that is that is actually closer to it by far. In fact, what happens is it opens up with the editor Sean Mankiewicz being like, hey, it's Skybound Ten. You know, I've always wanted to do a project like this for the 10th anniversary. Um, and it also, I think, makes sense. Like, it's a, it's a good introduction to what Skybound brings. So kind of what they're doing is they make it seem like it's like a victory lap. In, in some ways, it's almost, I feel, uh, Kirkman's attempt to... Uh, kind of, you know, unsurprisingly, as a guy who was brought in during one of Image's anniversaries, and, you know, there was all this hoopla about how they were going to do, like, Image United and all this blah, 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 that then, of course, fell apart. I feel like Kirkman's kind of like, this is something that we should... It should have been done a little more like this, which is to say... An anthology title that that has the material that people are absolutely demanding to see, quote unquote, and um, and 
and then having a bunch of the backup stories being things to to let you know what's important to Skybound. Like, um, you know, the first issue has, um, you know, what I think of as a relatively big deal uh, that you would think, which is um, Clementine, which is a character from the Telltale Games uh, Walking Dead series that is a big fan favorite, is getting a series of OGNs, but those OGNs are written and drawn by Tilly Walden. Yes. So there's like, you know, I don't know. There's a, a, there's a potential story. crossover hit, right? Right. Well, I mean, yeah, definitely. It, it, to me, I'm kind of like, oh, okay. So, so there's a little bit where I'm like, okay, so if this is designed as a sampler, you know, that also seems to have some some decent ideas for it. Like there's a there's a follow up to Six Assassins by Kyle Starks and Erica Henderson that is a, a sequel story that looks that is basically a teaser to a new upcoming miniseries. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty great, you know. And then there's you know a lot of stuff that runs the gamut from I don't care to, I don't know, if nothing else, a certain level of, oh yeah, I should really keep an eye on Skybound, in a way. Interestingly enough, I think there might be some subtext. The first uh, story in each issue is the reoccurring story, which is basically a Walking Dead piss-up, which is kind of like... The Walking Dead, but if Kirkman had had to follow through on his promise to Image Comics, uh, which is to have an alien invasion, um, if if the book didn't sell. So he went with alien invasion, and then everyone has super suits and lightsabers and um, robot fists and... It's it. I, I got to tell you, the thing that I think is interesting, and I really have to give Kirkman, uh, to me, a degree of credit is, uh, and I I say this have, having and continually forgetting that he started off doing, you know, Chloe's beloved Battle Pope. Yeah. Battle Pope um, is that is that Kirkman for all of the post-apocalyptic you know, semi-conservative shoegazing that is The Walking Dead, or emo, I guess, shoegaze, I should say, that is The Walking Dead, Kirkman really wants to be Kyle Starks. And I think that that shows tremendous amounts of taste on his part. You know what I mean? Like, I too wish that I could you know, write something half as crazy as, uh, as Kyle Starks does. So I'm, I'm also now completely paranoid. Is it KS or just K it's Kyle's it's Kyle Starks, right? It's Starks. It's Kyle Starks. Yeah. Okay. Thank God. I, uh, I'm like, no, Tony Stark, Kyle Starks. Anyway, Kyle Starks seeing that Kirkman wants to be Kyle Starks is great. It's also a little mystifying. Like I really feel that, the more I read stuff like Die, Die, Die or the Walking Dead 2000 story at the beginning of the Skybound stuff um, and seeing things like that excellent second issue of the Six Sidekicks of Tr- Trigger Geaton that came out this week. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, Kirkman's 
really on board with with that like he's really fixated on that in a way that i both appreciate his taste and i'm fascinated because i kind of feel like you know maybe his other flip side uh outcast which was his sort of you know his exorcist to the walking dead's uh dawn of the dead movies um you know only kind of went so far with its sort of semi-conservative semi-apocalyptic shoegaze you know so maybe he's like ah you know let's just have fun let's let's cut things up but i kind of had this thing of like man i wish that he would spend a couple of his many millions of dollars and 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 do a skybound anthology where it's you know basically four stories of 15 to 18 pages each and then you know puts out a trade of the material you know every six months you know six trades or something like i think yeah yeah i i would i he could i like i had that moment of like oh fuck he can do it i mean i have no idea how long skybound 10 uh was in progress they probably spent the better part of the year soliciting stories and honestly some of the stories are kind of that classic you know here's an eight pager from somebody who kind of doesn't know how to tell a story in eight pages kind of thing you know but um it's been interesting buying and part of me had that moment as it turns out entirely unfounded of hope that maybe there's still something that can come out of the amazing Robert Kirkman IP factory other Mm -hmm. than, you know, a couple of people being able to eat and having, you know, none of the rights to the things they create. I feel like that should be a segue to talk about Rick Remender and the scumbag, but (laughs) instead I'm actually going to talk about some other comics that I read. Remember when I was making fun of... Matthew Rosenberg and the Joker presents a puzzle box. I was like, yes. the puzzle being, why is Matthew Rosenberg getting work? Um, that's been coming out uh, on DC, uh, 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 I almost said it, Unlimited, um, DC Universe Infinite, DCUI, and is up to issue four now. And I I really like it. I really like it. I got to give Rosenberg I a dro- lot I of I dropped off after issue two. I, I'm not for, for any... Like not because I was like, well, this is shit, but honestly, it, it just wasn't grabbing my attention enough. Should I revisit? I doubt it because I don't think that this this it is the classic lead-in to one of our big fights. Uh, the whole like, no, Graham, as someone who is a big Batman fan, I like it, and since you aren't really a big Batman fan, you won't. And then you're like, why? How dare you? I sputter, sputter. You know what I mean? But that being said, (laughs) I kind of don't think that it's your jam. One thing that I really liked, uh, the reason why 2 grabbed me, as you may remember, is it opens up with a... um, The Riddler solving a riddle, kind of, at the beginning. And the riddle was actually some Bill Finger-level shit. Like... Oh, wow. Like, you know, Rosenberg built a trap around a two-part Latin palindrome. And I'm like, okay, that's that's putting in some work. 
he's got a he's got a scene where the Riddler is trying to convince the Joker to help him out, and the Joker's watching a boxing match with Punchline, and it is very hard to squint your eyes in a way to see the Joker as in any way kind of resembling the Joker that we know, even with the magical Grant Morrison, he's an agent of chaos and can be anyone or anything kind of card. And yet I still really enjoyed it and I enjoyed the work and I enjoy how it's weirdly structured. Like one part's a police procedural and one part is a Batman's rogue gallery fight each other over a mysterious puzzle that ends up being mother box related I kind of I kind of dug it. Like it's nothing big, but it's kind of great in a hey, this in a is, small way. Yeah, in a small this is freeway. You know what I mean? Like and that... I'm, I I'm curious. Mm-hmm. You you are a Batman fan as you have as you have pointed out in this very podcast if not before. Yes. Um do you remember the 70s run of stories by I think it was David Reed where Batman was dead and the the rogues gallery Yes. Were yeah, because mm-hmm. everyone's in credit for it. Yeah, I've been meaning to reread that. In fact, does, but yeah. Does mm-hmm. this remind you of that, or is that just me? Uh, I think that's actually a really good call. That's a good call. Um, yeah. Well, I think so. Like you said, I feel like as I remember those stories, it has it's um. It's really charmingly each one being like, no, you're wrong. Here's what happened. And instead, yeah. what we're getting is kind of a weird. Uh, it's I hate to say it, but of course, it's deliberately designed to ev- evoke and invoke um, this. The interrogation scene in uh, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight and yes, also yes. sort of the inspiration text from uh Rue Baker and uh, Rucka and Lark's uh, Mm -hmm. Gotham Central. Um, So, so, but yeah, it it definitely has a little bit of that vibe of like the puzzle is sort of what's going to happen and or when is Batman going to appear if Batman's going to appear. Um, And again, it's a trifle, but I like it. In the, hey, this is free um, and I totally recommend it. Like, rather than having you jump to uh, read The Joker Presents a Puzzle Box, um, I would recommend you get on the free trial for Shonen Jump or even drop the two ninety nine and read Look Back, which is the 140-page one-shot that the creator of Chainsaw Man dropped last weekend I want to say maybe it was the weekend before I think it was just last weekend um it's it's pretty great it's pretty great I was a little I love Chainsaw Man and Chainsaw Man is this absolutely sort of insane irreverent inspiringly super masterful uh action manga and look back is as you would suspect from the title is a look back about two um fledgling school students that 
both wannabe manga artists and the way in mm-hmm. which their lives intertwine. In some ways, it feels like a corrective to Bakuman, um, the, oh. the the series that, as you know, I loved about um, two high school creators who basically work their asses off to become the top of the manga list. Yeah, yeah. Um, th- this is a more sort of poignant story that I guess in some ways is about sacrifice and it's it's really good it's really it's like one of those like uh oh holy shit kind of things because it's you know it's basically like for those of us who pay two to 99 a month um in part so that we can tell themselves that eventually we're going to finish reading the last 95 chapters of that volleyball manga um you know it's kind of amazing to have essentially a, a full graphic novel just kind of show up one Sunday with a little email being like, yeah, here's a one shot from this guy. And you're like, and you're like, well, this is amazing. Right. Exactly. For those of us who aren't on the reviewer copy sort of email chain, like I can see where maybe that sort of experience may happen to you more, but uh, it doesn't often happen to me, and I thought it was extraordinary. Um, it's been a pretty good couple of weeks for comics in that regard, because in addition to Look Back, I also read Volume 1 of uh, Fist of the North Star, which, as you may remember, as a classic manga from the 80s, uh, art by Tetsuo Hera, um, story by uh, Brunson, and apparently the editor who shows up at the end of volume one to take as much credit for as many things as possible also played a huge story in shaping this, uh, a huge part in shaping this story. Fist of the North Star is basically what happens if you put Bruce Lee in Road Warrior back in the end of 80s and kind of made it a little closer to an ultra-violent um, version of Thundar the Barbarian. In other words, it was like mother's milk for me. It was like 350 pages of just pure chewing satisfaction. People's heads exploding, people sticking thumbs into people's backs and then suddenly having them like blow up in ridiculous ways. Like meanwhile, there's like topless dudes wearing you know motors football helmets while riding motorcycles and and shooting chain crossbows like everything that you would want from a road warrior ripoff comic like it's it's kind of like it's kind of like what i always wanted hex to be and never was you know what i mean god (laughs) love hex i love that i love that and so it's just it's just fabulous that was great it's funny, I swear when I was putting together this list, I had a moment of like, what was the other amazing manga that I was reading? And I don't know. Interestingly enough, I ended up recently watching Doberman Cop, which is a Sonny Chiba movie from 1977 that is actually written by the same guy who does the script for Fist of the North Star, uh, Borenson. 
and uh, Doberman cop Sonny Chiba plays a, a a yokel cop from Okinawa. Like you literally see him wearing a straw hat and carrying a pig on his back during the opening sequences of him walking walking through uh, the Shinjuku district of 1977, and it's it's great. It's just great. It is a completely. It's sort of a kind of a light light adventure comedy for Sonny Chiba, which is to say that like there's amazingly violent action scenes and a real ridiculous comedic tone, but also has some really weirdly um, mature things to say about for lack of a better term, I guess the 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 catalyst that an urban environment can play in helping people create and forge new identities for themselves and and it's and and also in a weird surprising way like you know unsurprisingly it's like oh chiba comes to tokyo and the cops are inept and you know Vice is running wild and Chiba, who's like a guy who barely seems to know his one foot from his right, is nonetheless also aware that like the solved murder isn't solved and the person that he's in town to look for, who everyone swears is dead, he suspects is alive, but meanwhile like sex workers are like cooing over him and his pig and you know, a motorcycle gang first fights him and then befriends him as the only person they feel is strong enough to overthrow the corrupt cops. Like, in the middle of this really broad strokes, like, all of the quote-unquote bad guys, the super decadent bad guys, are shown as being openly unconditionally loving and supportive of their female partners. And so there's something that's just kind of weirdly mind-blowingly jarring about that, that these Mm -hmm. Yakuza figures that are the quote-unquote villains of the piece, like part of what's represented as the decadent urban values that you tend to see in these, in these movies is actually these weird steps towards loving equality so it kind of blew my mind. I got to say Doberman Cop felt like was clearly related to a manga in terms of here's a guy with a white hat and white pants carrying a pig who's also like, you know, karateing, chopping people on motorcycles and being seduced, but, you know, having like sex workers fall in love with him uh, during in, in mid lap dance, essentially, but was also kind of like a weirdly great like I said, meditation, I suppose, where things weren't just so cut and dry and black and white. So, um, I mean, that, that genuinely sounds great. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's great because I absolutely positively know that I can see you and Chloe sitting down and watching it. And within five minutes looking at each other and being like, oh yeah, Jeff's absolutely high. He is absolutely 100%. Oh, you know what it was, Graham? It wasn't manga. You had mentioned either on the previous Drock or an episode prior that um, 
2000 AD slash Rebellion had put out an Action 2020 special with a replica of the issue six or whatever it was, the band issue. And so I bought that on digital and that was great. It was interesting because, of course, it's it's basically two issues. And so there's the Action 2020 special in which um, everyone more or less revisits those concepts uh mm-hmm. and it's weird seeing who does and doesn't know what they're doing with them or is just vamping for time dramatically and then you get to action which the reprint issue which i'm just like i've got to get my run hands on an entire run of that shit i was like oh my god the faux rollerball issue there was like there's a whole issue that's like hell, Highway to Hell or Hell's Highway that's basically about like truckers fighting the man and it's kind of like, I don't know, if Smokey and the Bandit was like done as an issue of Mission Impossible, you know, like it's literally them double crossing the guys from the CIA who are trying to double cross them about, I don't know, I think it's immigrant smuggling or something. Fucking great. Holy shit. Almost literally impossible to read due to the reproduction and, of course, the way that those guys, you know, did their lettering back then. But but I loved it. I just adored it. I'm clearly disappearing into... Like, Don't you wish that there was, like, an entire collection of action? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I would pay so much money for that. So much money for that. Because I enjoyed that one issue so much, and we and, sh- we should explain for people who like aren't aware, we're oh, not talking right. about Action Comics, the American series. Yes, we're talking about Action, the relatively short-lived British anthology that ultimately led to 2080, but was, for all intents and purposes, like censored into non-existence in the 1970s. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, um. You know, I and and the thing that's amazing about action is you keep hearing rumors that there are going to be collections. And God love us, I mean love them. I have, you know, the collected Hookjaw, which actually did come out um in print and digital. So it was kind of fun reading reading action and getting to the Hookjaw episode and being like, Oh yeah, I've read this and then of course reading it and being like, Did I? Because he he kills a lot of people in three pages. A lot of innocent people die in this Hookjaw story. I really got to salute it. But, like, I mean, I've heard rumors that there was going to be a collection of Kids Rule Okay. And I would pay so much money for a complete collection of Kids Rule Okay. Just because... Yeah, I, I want to say that, like, beyond Hookjaw, none of the action stuff has been, like... Fully collected, right? No, I, as far as I know. I mean, the classic is there was um, the 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 book Action, the story of a violent comic that is... Yeah, but a, like even that one is like 30 years old. Like, I remember right. being there in the store when you found it. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I was so happy. And it has it has a lot of reprints, but it, it's, it doesn't reprint everything, unsurprisingly. No. You know, and so I'm just like, God, get me, get me on this sweet, sweet, like, why are they leaving the money on the table, sort of, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Just great stuff. Great stuff. So for people looking for stuff to read that want things that are really uh, offbeat, 
holy shit. Um, and like I said... You're like, for people who want absolutely bad shit comics... Oh, yeah. Action 2020 special so you can read the replica issue and the first volume of Fifth, Fist of the North Star are exceptional. Um, you know, get look back on the Shonen Jump. Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton was good. Of course, I think Nightwing has been pretty terrific. I love me my Savage Avengers, and I just reread Giant, uh, Conan the Barbarian Giant Size uh, issue number five, or Giant Size Conan the Barbarian number five, I should say, from 1974. It's actually a reprint of two issues, like I think it's issues 13 and 14, or 14 and 15 of Conan the Barbarian, which is, say, uh, art by Barry Smith, Barry Windsor Smith, but Barry Smith back then. Story by Roy Thomas and Michael Moorcock, because it's Conan and Elric crossover. Um, great fun. And the great thing is, because they shove it into a giant size reprint, they get a new cover art from Jack Kirby. So it's Jack Kirby. I think it's his only published work drawing Conan. Um, and he's actually drawing Elric. So at the same That's time, amazing. Yeah, kind of great. Kinda, Holy shit! Yeah, that w- it was one of those deals where I was like, "Oh, this this totally rang my chimes." And you're not reading Savage Avengers, as you know. I like it quite a lot. The big bad in that is Kulan Goth, who is you know this Hyperborean wizard that I remember from like. Marvel team up and as someone pointed out when I mentioned it on Twitter Uncanny X-Men you know yeah, yeah, you that great X-Men exactly that's cool and goth they bring him back as the super big bad he is also the villain of uh, giant size Conan uh, number five like it's Elric and Conan versus cool and goth in his first appearance and I was like oh wow yeah, and so I was actually like, there was a point in Savage Avengers, like, I don't know, issue 13 or 14, where Doctor Strange essentially travels back in time to uncover the origin of Kulan Goth. And I got to give it up to Jerry Dugan and Pat Searcher. Um, they have a panel from that Conan issue tucked in there. It's very discreet. Like, they're not pushing it to the forefront. But I'm like oh, fuck, these guys know what they're doing. So I'm super excited by sort of the same way that Conan is in the Marvel Universe and, you know, basically, I don't know, having fistfights with Deadpool. I'm kind of excited that Kulan Gath, who is a, a, an original Conan villain who is crossover, has crossed over to the Marvel Universe several times, is so so is much more closely tied to Conan's history. And what's great is he talks about it like they are, and you just sort of assume that's just, you know, typical Marvel retconning stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was very excited, like, oh, that's kind of cool. Anyway, fun little bonus, but yeah, like a really good uh, week slash couple of weeks for me, um, which was great because I really needed to wash the taste out of my mouth after Secret Invasion. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to take that as a cue to say everyone who was so excited by the Baxter Building's return, thanks. That was great. I thought Wasn't the comments nice? were actually, like, yeah. really positive. I was, I was really happy about that. Um, uh, I'm going to tell you, Jeff, do you know what I've been rereading? Although it's been so long since I read it, it's kind of like reading it for the first time. Tell me. The New Defenders. 
Whoa. Wait. The, the like, 1983 relaunch of Defenders mm-hmm. by J.M. DeMatteis. I was going to say, yeah. And he, he then skips town, like, six issues in, and it becomes a Peter Gillis book. And mm. Peter Gillis, as we all know, wrote some wacky comics in the 1980s. Yeah. I mean, so did J.M. DeMatteis, but, like, Gillis really, yeah. I mean, okay. Matthias' stuff is honestly relatively straightforward in comparison, mm, mm-hmm. right? He's he's playing it relatively straight, like a little bit wacky, uh, in wacky in such a way that honestly it feels like a forerunner to Justice League, in in honestly a, a surprising way. Uh, that is surprising, uh, especially considering the way he sort of wrapped up Defenders with his sort of mega melodrama, I guess. I mean. What do you mean? Do you mean the, the Defenders run or New Defenders? Cause Sorry, he's... the Defenders run. Because my, my understanding, it runs 100 plus issues and like Demetrius is on it till the end and for a good chunk, right? Like, Well, no, Demetrius, like, Demetrius takes over, uh, I think, like somewhere after issue 100 and he's only on through like 130. No, isn't... Yeah, issue... and, then, and then Gillis like takes over and run, uh, runs the book into the ground at 152. Oh, okay. All right. So this isn't a reboot of Defenders. It's just when Defenders moved to be called the New Defenders. Become New Defenders, yeah. Right. And you've got Gargoyle and all that stuff. Yes, it's it's that stuff. I thought issue 100, which is the big wrap-up of sort of the Son of Satan, you know, being a weird, abusive husband, turns into a creature of hellfire. It's basically the Defenders versus Satan which shows himself to be like all the various incarnations of the devil and also God. I thought that was a issue 100 and B super JM Demetrius. So I thought he came in in the eighties. I thought Demetrius came on much later, but that is Demetrius. No, I started with new defenders. So I started with one twenty five, which is when it changed cycles. Got it. Okay. Um, I'm I'm looking when did he? Yeah, that was the Mattis at issue 100. I've just looked up. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, it changes to new defenders in one twenty five. Okay. Right, and it's it's when it changes new defenders because they basically write out the original defenders. Right, once and for all. There's no more Doctor Strange. There's no more Hulk. There's no more Silver Surfer. There's no more Namor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the team becomes Beast, Angel, Iceman, Gargoyle, Valkyrie, and Moon Dragon. Right, weird mix. Right, yeah. Uh, and then and there's there's like characters who come in and out. Like there's clouds. You know, oh, and, right, and from the clubs, it it exists under Demetrius' reign. It exists as basically an X Men book, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Like they even go up against the New Mutants in one issue. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, but then, like I said, like Gillis comes on, and it goes off the rails in a way that is genuinely enjoyable, mm. mm-hmm. uh, and and in such a way that because Gillis also writes the second Micronauts series I love so much mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. love Mantlo's Micronauts a lot and then Gillis comes on they relaunch the book with issue one as Micronauts the New Voyages and again Gillis kills it within 20 to 20 issues yeah. but like he legitimately goes all out to kill it like he mm-hmm. kills the Micronauts at the end of the book mm. Mm. Wow! he actually outright kills them wow they come back because of course comics but right. like Gillis is Gillis goes mad with that <laughs> and it's kind of great to see him be like i'm doing a superhero book but it's kind of a wacky superhero book let's see where that goes and in almost every respect it goes so skew with <laughs> that you can't quite believe that marvel was publishing it in like 1984 
Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and it's 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 very enjoyable from today's perspective. You know, like clouds is uh, sort of a uh, under Dematius cloud is is kind of a generic like angry teen girl, mm-hmm. and then Gills is like, but what if she's also a very confused teen boy at the same time. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And you're like, what? Or Tamadi uh, <laughs> sets up, Moondragon comes in and Moondragon is, has just been like, she's been a, uh, I think a Thor villain or an Avengers villain just before this. Right. And so she's now wearing a headband created by Odin to limit her powers. Mm. And so she's basically like the pissy member of the team, right? She's the one who's like, I wish I wasn't here. You're all fuckers. Mm-hmm. And Maddie has her being the thing, while at the same time setting up a, a love triangle. The angel and Iceman both are in love with her, which he gets over in again like a very weird comedic way of having both of them have the same thought balloons about her, literally the same thought balloons about her. Hmm. In the same panel, you'll see the two of them thinking exactly the same thing hmm. on a repeated basis. And then Gilles is like, oh, but no, wait, what if she actually is fucking evil? Mm-hmm. What if she just fucks them up really badly? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he just goes for it in a way that, that is genuinely kind of um, amazing, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and it's, it is, again, a, a, a joy to read and go, how did this get published? Isn't that, it is amazing how much those tend to be the elements where you're like, Particularly for Marvel and DC, where you're just, it's, it's like you're splashing around at a puddle. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, those parts are always so great, where you feel like something has slipped free from editorial editorial oversight and meddling. It's funny, because I feel like Gillis is one of those dudes who, like Dematius, is kind of comes, is in awe of and adores the classic, like, the second generation of Marvel writers, like Groove-loving oh, yeah. Gerber and Englehart. Yes, Sarlin, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. And you can definitely see the influence of them. But honestly, you can see an influence of, like, Lean Kirby. Sure. To be perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I do think that that's... The other thing is, is that's kind of Marvel. Like, you know what I mean? Like, even as crazy as you might be about, say... Gerber and Englehart and what they're bringing to the table and to an extent Starlin um, you know they're still kind of writing in Stan Lee's voice you know what I mean and everything yeah. is still very kind of of a piece they're not they're not they're, you know again until you sort of get to Starlin in his bitter period they're not really trying to pull down they're not trying to to show up Lee and Kirby and Marvel stuff. It's still very much a pain tribute and it's out of love. And so, and so there's that kind of echo. And yet what's weird to me is for whatever reason, Gillis, who seems like he should really resonate with me, always feels kind of like a weird miss for me. I don't know. I don't know why I think in part because He's kind of super dark, I guess. You know, like it's Gillis. Gillis co-creates a Strike Force Moratory, right? Or yes, no? Yeah, right. Which no, is no, it is. The, yeah the, the 
dudes who have superpowers um, and then are dead within a year. And I kind of feel like he's really into, uh, yeah, the the grim and grittiness of it before the grim and gritty of the late 80s really emerges, I guess. You know? Well, what's weird is, like, I'm not even sure he's grim and gritty as much as, like, he's just, like, almost nihilistic. But, but it's somehow not grim and gritty. Like, there is humor mm-hmm. in there. It's just that it's exceptionally dark. It's really dark humor. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, his his defenders, I, I highly recommend. I got there uh, almost by mistake because I don't know if you saw this. I think we talked about it before. Um, Marvel Unlimited just added a shit ton of power pack. Oh, you did mention that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I loved power pack back in the day. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I really dramatically loved power pack back in the day and so i was revisiting the early shoes of that which honestly i think still hold up and i i wish because i also read the most recent power pack series which is also marvel unlimited um i wish there was something like the original power pack again mm-hmm. uh which which i mean honestly is to all intents and purposes just a traditional marvel book but it features kids right you know right. it's not writing down to them at all Right. It is. It is very much like in the in the spirit of of X Men or New Mutants, mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. you know might have been one of the reasons why those characters kept guessing. Right. Um, I, but I love that very much, and it left me going. You know, I I love a bunch of sort of shitty or mid period eighties uh, Marvel. I'm going to see what else is on here, leading to my shocking discovery. There's only two issues of Dazzler on Marvel Unlimited. Really? Yeah. What? That's no, crazy. Sorry. It's, it's not two issues. It's like maybe the first year and then one issue from the end. Wow. That's surprising yeah. to me. Like they as you know, there's at least two volumes of Masterworks for Dazzler, and I know cuz yeah. I I bought them both digitally on sale. So you yeah. would think they it, would have uploaded all that by now. Yep. Uh, wow. There's also like there's for some reason almost none of the the Bill Mantlo Alpha Flight run. Which again yeah. feels like it's really strange oversight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I was thinking about all this stuff, and I was like, you know, I wonder what else got Defenders. I'm going to reread New Defenders, which I literally read one issue of when it came out. Mm. But I liked that issue so much that I was like, oh, I'm a fan of this book. I never found another <laughs> issue. Wow. Uh, and then went back, and I was like, mm, oh, 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 oh no. dear. <laughs> Um, yeah, but it, it's you know that that's been fun, and otherwise, like I have been reading a bunch of stuff that has that again is not out yet. Um, although I think this is when I literally lose track of what's come out or not. I think the second issue of Infinite Frontier from DC is out. I believe that is right. I think it came out last week, and I didn't pick it up. Yeah. Um, I am. Um, I've also read the third issue, mm-hmm. but uh, I am. Um, I'm really enjoying it, but I'm also fascinated by it. Because, you know, this far in, uh-huh. I realized that, like, it's not an event book. Hmm. It's, because I, like, I may be misremembering. I thought it was basically sold as being an event book. Uh-huh. And it's it's more like it's the prelude to an event book. <laughs> like, it's all still leading up to something. Right. As opposed to the thing actually happening. Uh-huh. And don't uh-huh. get me wrong. I'm enough of a fan of these concepts and these characters that I'm I'm in for it anyway. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's you know there's an explosion in the Justice Society building. Oh, okay, great. 
there. Right. Oh, it's, you know, it's Barry Allen and he's searching through the multiverse for something. Great. It's President Superman. Thank you very much. You know, yeah. like the one thing I'm the one thing I'm not a fan of is, is Flashpoint Batman. But you know what? I can live with him. Mm-hmm. I know what you uh, mean. I read that first issue and I was like, and yet weirdly, I was like, I like all of these things. And yet for whatever reason, I felt like I didn't enjoy the first issue very much. And I was like, maybe I'll come back to this on DC Universe, you know. And honestly, a DC Universe is probably going to work. I, uh, chances are it's going to be on um, Hoopla before then. There'll be a yeah. collection of Hoopla. I think you're right. And yeah. I suspect it's going to read much better as a collection. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because it is, as I said. like there, It's a lot of, like, setup. Yeah. That first issue felt like a lot of tease. And, and in a weird, like... Because um, it's Josh Joshua Williamson writing it, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it was like the, he's such an efficient storyteller. I felt like the first half of the book set up all of the quote unquote mysteries. And then he kind of was like, well, but I can't go too far. So I'm just going to kind of reiterate those or move them half a space in the second half of the book. Like it was, I got, I got a little car sick reading that first issue, as I recall. Like it was... It, it felt like it could have gone further than it did, and that was the point where I was like, eh, maybe I'll tap out and wait for the trade, you know? But I got, especially from that first issue, I was like, okay, this is set up for the rest of the series. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, having read the first series, I'm like, this is set up for a different series. Okay, this and the, up, yeah, I'm kind of glad This I'm is set up away. For, for another comic. Right. You know, and maybe maybe there's there's going to be an incident. And I again, I'm not even complaining when I'm saying that, mm-hmm. right? I'm still in. I'm still enjoying it. Sure. But it like the realization of, oh, this isn't what I thought it was at all. Right. Right. Like th- this is this is a totally different type of comic, and it's a type of comic that exists with an entirely different purpose. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, what was 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 quite something. <laughs> Again, I, I am. Uh, I especially, I should say, I'm really enjoying the um, the covers from from Mitch Garatz, which I, I think are lovely. I think he's he's doing a really really nice job in the covers. I also read this week the um, the Crime Syndicate series, DC's Crime Syndicate series, their their Earth three relaunch. Uh huh. And Jeff, is it just me? Like, I have such problems with that concept. I do too, yeah. Uh, and I think the problem I have with the concept is honestly the problem I have with with like Squadron Supreme over at Marvel, mm-hmm. which is there's n- it's not enough to just be like it's the Justice League, but not. Mm-hmm. Like I feel you've got to say more either about the Justice League or make the characters interesting enough in their own right. Yeah. You and, know. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. And and I I it's. You know, Crime Syndicate is also sort of uh, afflicted by the fact that it it's a six-issue series that seems to be made up of two three-part stories. Huh. That's odd. And so, yeah, it feels very jittery. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and despite the fact that it has a main story and then a backup, and the backup is theoretically the origins of the team, like mm-hmm. of each member of the team, hmm. um, none of the characters really feel established. Hmm. 
and and so it, it feels very um slippy and 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 unconvincing unfortunately that is a shame that is a shame i really appreciate you saying it cuz i kind of feel this huge sigh of relief like i'm i'm never like i i enjoyed morrison's twist with them of uh, with yes. earth 2 or whatever with, yeah yeah. yeah, and honestly, I think that's the best they've ever been. Right, and and I just haven't been nearly as interested since. And I think for me, I think the the part that that made it work for me in Earth Two is that Morrison more or less backs it up with the idea that essentially the entire universe is skewed toward evil. You know, as as essentially one of its universal rules. I suppose. And then at that point, it becomes, to me, I guess, a little more interesting, either as a funhouse mirror or as that kind of um, experiment that I think Morrison is kind of good at of how do I play having different universes with different rules interact and then have a resolution that more or less... Um, plays by all those rules kind of feeling, you know what I mean? So, to me, it's always kind of a formalistic thing, which makes sense, because part of me is like, I mean, I don't I don't care about evil Superwoman or evil Batman or, or even the love triangle with evil Superwoman and evil Batman and evil Superman. You know, Ultra, you know Ultraman, Superwoman, and the cockroach or whoever the, whatever the fuck the batman guy is the owl is it owl man is it owl man is, is, is who it is yeah uh, he is um there yeah there's there's never going to be any way that they can convince you that owl man works right right Countless people have tried and even as a kid you're like no owl man's fucking ridiculous no, yeah exactly I'm not, I'm not buying owl man. yeah you know like unless you actually see him regurgitate a mouse skeleton there's no need to have owl man in your comic you know i think that's just a good rule of thumb that uh editors would do well to print out and put in um you know large font across the desk i think i've spoken um at least with squadron supreme i kind of feel like you know, particularly with Grunwald stuff, not only is there, like, things you can do sort of with the characters, but, like, they can they can kind of be different characters, I suppose. Like, I yeah, didn't and, bother and honestly, with the Grunwald thing is, is the exception that proves the rule, right? Yeah, yeah. Because, again, so. Grunwald, I think, actually does try and do something with, with the, the analog. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, a variety of things with them, which I think is great, but just in that idea of, like... Oh, you know, here's the soup DC superheroes, but guess what? They like kicking babies. I'm like, uh, meh. So, um, yeah, so- that's that. That is one of the problems with the crime syndicate, right? Where it's mm-hmm. always like, haha, what if Wonder Woman? But she's, you know, she's actually a dominatrix, and she's having an affair with Superman and Batman. Right. It, right. What one of the weird things is Morrison was like, well, Wonder Woman's Lois Lane, uh, Superwoman's Lois Lane. Yes. And right. this Crime Syndicate series is Donna Troy. Ooh. And I was like, why, why make the change? Right, yeah. Uh, okay, but, sucks. but there you go. Yeah. Hmm. Still, still, still uh, you know, in a, every other respect, the same character. This time, um, she's the dominatrix to the president, who is Oliver Queen. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, is he... Comics. Is, 
right? comics, everybody. Yeah. See, I don't know. I it's hmm. Graham, I'll take my fist to the North Star. He actually he has a move, Graham. The 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 fist of the North Star. There's a great moment uh, early on. Let's see if I can find it because it was just the best. Where he like hits somebody with. Oh, fuck me. Why can't I find this? I screenshot so many comics, I'm not going to be able to find it. Um, it was just genius. And I cropped it. Why isn't it here? Um, he he basically sticks his thumbs in the side of the guy's uh, head and is basically like, I've hit you with the, you know, Lone Star Shaolin regret move where... Um, you have 45 seconds to reflect on your life before your internal organs explode. And and the guy's just like, ah? And then he just explodes, which is great. There's actually a scene where, because it's all about pressure points. I mentioned Bruce Lee, and he does a whole bunch of karate kicks and smacks people. But his, his ability is his ability to hit you in the power point. So it's very much the five-star exploding palm technique, you know, from, from Kill Bill. Sure. But but done in this thing where um, I think my favorite one is he has it where the person's like folds up into a back bend and then, and then their spine contracts backwards. And this guy, this evil villain who's been garroting people, he actually like hits the power pressure points in his arms and the guy can't control his arms anymore. And like, Fist of the North Star, like, moves the various pressure points, and then the guy garrotes himself. And it's great, because his head flies off um, from self-garroting himself. So, in other words, there's your crime syndicate book, Graham. That's what you need to really sell. Like, Wonder Woman is a dominatrix. You know what I mean? Like, part of me is like, what if dominatrixes serve important, you know, sex work purposes? You know? Like... Don't haven't haven't the DC people thought of that? You know, I'll tell you this much: they definitely haven't when it comes to crime syndicate. Yeah, right. So, and they didn't have Owlman regurgitate a mouse skeleton. So, basically, so failure all around. All around. <laughs> I I lower the eternal the celestials uh, lower their thumb in disappointment, in judgment. Uh, Graham McMillan, it's pretty close to two hours, kind of, and I'm my throat is giving out. Yeah, I was going to say, we should probably start wrapping this up. I will say one thing, and I can't remember if I've said this, because I can't remember when I watched this film, which is really annoying. Did, have I talked about Summer of Soul yet? No. I don't think okay, so. Okay, Summer of Soul, if you have Hulu, everyone needs to watch Summer of Soul on Hulu. Mm-hmm. It is, it is amazing. It is such a great film. It is a documentary about... Uh, the Harlem Cultural Festival from 1969. Mm. So the same summer as Woodstock. Um, in Harlem, they have uh, a festival across six weeks. And performing at the festival, and they have footage of this, Jeff. Like Stevie Wonder, Nina Simone, Sly and the Family Stone, B.B. King's in there, Mahalia Jackson's in there, Fifth mm. Dimension's in there, Gladys Knight and the Pips are in there. Mm. It is not only one of the greatest music documentaries you can imagine, mm-hmm. but there's something so wonderful about seeing this like alternate world because everyone's like 69 was the summer of Woodstock and you see this other thing which just feels so much more meaningful yeah right in in, in retrospect mm-hmm. and like you see Nina Simone and Nina Simone is just electric 
Yeah. You yeah. know, like, you need someone to slice, uh, slice on. Dude, these performances are just, like, fucking amazing. And you just go, well, I would have gone to that concert. Fuck with talk. I would right. have gone to that. Absolutely. Um, it's, on, it's, on, it's on Hulu. It's, like, an hour and a half long. It's really fucking great. Oh, great. That is that is an excellent recommendation. You'll make it's a nice chaser after Doberman Cop. Yes, exactly. That's what we're recommending. First Doberman Cop, then uh, Summer of Soul. <laughs> uh, otherwise, I'm going to start wrapping this up so that Jeff's voice doesn't completely give out. There's yep. going to be show notes for this up at waitwhatpodcasts.com. Uh, we have an Instagram account, Instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpods. We have a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast. We have. Jeff's Twitter account at LazyBastid at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. We have my Twitter account at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Uh, and we're a Patreon-supported podcast, which means Jeff says a few more things before I can still talk. Yes. Hey, everyone. You are awesome. We are so grateful for our listeners for continuing to tune in and listen to our comic book Blabbity Blab for really close to 10 years now. Um... I don't remember. Did we did we say that we crossed the ten year mark, or we've been doing it for nine years? I don't know. I feel like I feel like there's an anniversary coming on, Graham. Oh, which is... we're we're way past ten years. Are we? Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Didn't didn't wasn't Engelhart our ten year anniversary episode? Oh, was it? I thought it was like our three hundredth episode. I uh, honestly, I honestly don't remember, but I'm fairly sure we're past ten years. Okay. We yeah, I'm we're past ten years. I'm fairly sure. Okay. I will take your word for it. I would think that we are too. All of which is to say, I am slowly uh, succumbing to dementia and losing my mind, which will be amazing because I will only be able to talk in comic book plots from 1970s Marvel Comics. But until that time comes, I appreciate the support of listeners like you for, for um, you know... Uh, listening to Graham and I three weeks out of the month and sending us your uh, thoughts and comments and um, uh, pointing things out on Twitter. Um, I should have mentioned this during the course of things, but there is an upcoming uh, documentary on Del Close that ties into the stories that are, he tells in Wasteland Comics, in fact, uh, that is... I would never would have known about until someone was kind enough to uh, ping me on Twitter. Um, maybe I'll throw that in the show notes. I would love to talk about that um, as well as Donald Simpson and in Pictopia, which is a whole other thing that I will save for later. One thing that I should mention is the fine people on Patreon not only support us with their... Can you hear the pug snoring in the background or no? I cannot, so... Oh, okay. You're Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. The microphone's right up to your nose. Do you want to do something? <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Okay, so... So, uh... The fine folks on Patreon, who not only do all of the aforementioned support, but also throw us a little bit of their uh, hard-earned dosh to um, support us and show that they uh, appreciate us, and which, in turn, uh, we appreciate and inspires us to do things like... Baxter Building, what was our 50-episode read-through of the first 416 issues of the Fantastic Four, and is now our 51-episode uh, read-through of the first 416 issues of FF, and the three issues of Secret Invasion, Fantastic Four, check it out, as well as Drock, our multi-year uh, project 
uh, reading through Judge Dredd, the complete case files. A total eye-opener for me. Um, we are so grateful to you guys for supporting uh, this podcast and us and keeping us propped up. And I want to give a special shout-out to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. We're especially grateful for her continuing support of this podcast. And as I have mentioned many times, keeping the uh, celestial firmament aloft. We are, we are very grateful. Thank you. Graham? We will be back in two weeks. Yee! Two weeks. Jeff yeah. is no longer, like, getting nervous about scheduling. That's right. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with a new Wait Watts. Uh, and then the week after that is a drug. And then the week after that is another Wait Watts. That's your schedule, people. It's rare that Jeff and I have actually planned things out that far in advance. But we have, because you have missed the fact that Jeff and I had to compare schedules <laughs> there. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, back in two weeks with a wait what. Uh, Until then, bye!